0: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Whenever we talk about suicide, so many of us feel a sense of despair that leaves us feeling numb. The mental health of those closest to us sometimes goes under the radar and we don't always pick up the signs. A new book tells the story of a sister lost to suicide. Nikki Jeffrey heard of her sister Michelle's mental health crisis just 11 days before she died by suicide. Michelle's community in rural New South Wales were in shock and disbelief. So what happened in the lead-up to this tragedy? How did four hospitals let a New South Wales health employee, one of their own, slip through the cracks? Nikki Jeffrey is the author of a new book. It's called "Precious Michelle: A Sister Reminisces, A Life Lost to Suicide." Nikki Jeffrey's joining us. Hi, Nikki. Welcome along.
1: Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me.
0: Nikki, even when you're working in the hospital, that's not even a protection. You can still slip through the cracks. That was Michelle's story.
1: That's right. She was a child protection counsellor. And I think that was one of the reasons she didn't want to access help in her own community was because she was already helping the most vulnerable people in the community with their mental health and other issues. And yeah, when she started feeling overwhelmed, she felt like she didn't want people to know.
0: Well, isn't that tragic? And I've heard this sort of story before of people who've worked in the medical fields. This is your talking about child protection. Sometimes those fields can have their own stresses uh, that those of us on the outside don't necessarily understand. Was she that sort of person that took a lot of those things personally and really was immersed in her work in such a way that she'd uh, take on those things personally?
1: Yes, I think so. I think there's such a thing as vicarious trauma and even PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, these things can come about as you hear other people's tragic stories and as you're working with them day in and day out, it'd be hard not to take some of that emotion on board and that was certainly part Of Michelle's journey but there was more to it there were other losses in her life and one of the big ones was um that she'd been told in march of the year that she died that she had kidney cancer and i think on top of everything else that was the big tipping point for her
0: so bad news the stresses of your workload and you only found out 11 days before she committed suicide uh, that she was going through these sorts of things, at least there was 11 days to draw alongside. Were you able mm. to do that?
1: Yeah, I tried my best. I guess um, throughout my life, I always knew Michelle had her ups and downs. I knew she was sometimes a bit melancholy and, and but a lot of the time she'd present to the outside world as being very bubbly and happy and, and she had those moments but but there were other times that she she was quite down. Um, and so, yeah, we tried to get alongside her. Mum and Dad were trying to source help for her, even outside the community, taking her to different, a different hospital. But unfortunately, um, she was so skilled at the job that she did that she could present very well, knowing what kinds of questions she'd be asked about her own mental health. And and also, I just felt like if she had have been kept in a hospital long enough would have been able to see the change I don't think she could have held it together for that long you know what I mean
0: yes and mental health when we call it a silent killer this is the silence because as you say Michelle could present well she could hide her inner feelings and Uh, hiding those feelings uh, clearly was not in her best interest she ought to have let those out uh, so that she could have got some help that she needed but uh, that was a real challenge for her
1: and I think at that point maybe you've already lost hope about your life because there were other things she was quite disappointed about the fact that she was 36 and she hadn't gotten married and hadn't had children and then was having some other health concerns which meant maybe she would never have children. And I think, you know, there's just a lot of things that contribute to somebody getting in that place where they start thinking, well, you know, maybe the world's better off without me and and I just, I feel so hopeless and worthless.
0: Wow. Well, Nikki, whether you can comment, but when you get to that age as a young woman and... You haven't married, you didn't have children. That obviously presents a huge stress on your life. Are you able to comment on that for women in particular?
1: Yeah, I can comment because I had some single years. I remember throughout my 20s, I was single for a lot of those years and and just feeling always quite devastated as each year ended. Oh, am I ever going to meet? That, that person that I can share my whole life with and get married to so I could definitely relate to that feeling but I guess that's where the divide between my sister and I happens, not a massive divide but just um, we had been so close in our singleness and then when I got married there was that bit of distance that happened between us because she hadn't had her dreams in that area come true. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a big thing for women, especially if that's been your desire from when you were little that you really saw that in your future.
0: Nikki, you have a website all about hope for mothers and Jesus is at the centre of the sorts of things that you present on your website. Did Michelle share your faith
1: Yes, Michelle was a woman of strong faith and throughout her whole life she had a a relationship with Jesus. She was very young, probably about nine years old when she gave her heart to the Lord and she lived such an amazing life in those 36 years. She did lots of traveling, she sponsored multiple children through compassion and, and she just had a real living faith that, people were really attracted to, and, and she was very much someone to disciple people, take them through Bible studies, and yeah, just an amazing witness to Jesus.
0: And it affirms something here that being a Christian, having faith in God, doesn't make you immune from mental illness and from dealing with the stresses that we cope with in the work that we do and in the challenges of our own lives. How have you come to work through those things even for your own walk, your own life, uh, having faith in God, but recognising that that's not necessarily a a guarantee of having good mental health.
1: Yeah, I found it pretty difficult when I was a new mum and was facing postnatal depression. It was really hard to grapple with because I had had that belief that maybe A Christian shouldn't need to take antidepressants and a Christian shouldn't be depressed. And I don't know exactly where that came from, but I think sometimes we might hear that kind of thing in church circles and society. And so it was a real um, lesson for me to learn. And it helped me write that book I wrote, Encouraging Mums with Hope, because, you know, I I knew firsthand then how it felt to be depressed clinically and to not be able to function without some medication and without You know, psychology appointments and so forth. And I think we just, when we tell our stories, we need to just get rid of this stigma that surrounds mental health. And especially now with the society facing COVID 19, I think we need to really change the way we think and talk about mental health.
0: And when you're a Christian and usually a part of a local church, there's some pastoral oversight. And We might hope that if the pastoral team is well equipped that there might have been the hope for some intervention but I suspect not so many churches are well prepared like that. People are not necessarily well prepared and I imagine that it would be a good thing if more of us had a little more insight a little more understanding about how to deal with that when that comes across our path in the lives of those who are closest to us and those who are part of our church.
1: Yeah, and that was one hard thing for Michelle because she'd always been so good at caring for other people and she did, you know, her child protection counselling, she actually did go to her pastor for help and said, you know, I kind of need pastoral care for myself. And somehow out of that meeting, she ended up with the role of being the pastoral care coordinator of the church. So what happened there, I'm not exactly sure, but she ended up not getting what she needed and then having to try and give more again when she was already giving so much in her job.
0: Nikki, let's talk about all of your family and her friends, those who were bereaved when she did commit suicide. How did they handle things and did they go through a typical cycle of grief and asking why and the challenges that families face?
1: Mm, I think um, all of us were in shock when it happened because even though we knew she was unwell, we didn't expect this to be the end or the outcome of everything. And, And I think, yeah, throughout grief, you face shock and you face guilt, especially when it's a suicide death because... You have those extra questions on top of yourself like, could I have said something different, done something different? Could we have changed this outcome? So, yeah, all of that. And I guess that's what, because she also had so many friends and family members and she'd travelled all over the world and and made friends and kept in touch. And she was so good at keeping in touch with people and asking people how they were going. So it really devastated everybody and also particularly her small-town community and where she worked. And all the clients that she had, suddenly their rock, Michelle, had gone from this world and and everybody was left. We all felt like we were abandoned by somebody who had been such a bright light in our lives.
0: She was the one everyone felt had it all together and this would never happen. And when it does, perhaps that hurts all the more. Your book is called Precious Michelle, A Sister Reminisces a Life Lost to Suicide. And I note that your book is to those who are bereaved by suicide and to those that worry that one day they may be. So reading your story prepares people for how they might deal with these things in their own uh, loved ones, family members, close group of friends. How do you hope people will respond to your book?
1: Well, I hope it's going to bring hope to them. That's what I've put on the back of it, hope for the hurting heart. Because I think, you know, when we're facing mental health struggles within our family or friendship groups, like there can be that feeling of hopelessness and what can we do? So I encourage people in the book, like I tell Michelle's story more at the start to celebrate her life and then I, I share kind of what happened at the end of her life and and then I encourage people, you know, why not go and do something like a Wesley Life Force Suicide Prevention Training Day, like I went and just did a day training for that and why not do a mental health first aid course because I think we can equip ourselves better even though it is hard and and it's not our fault if somebody then still follows through and takes their own life. But we, there are things we can do to try and um, keep them here, to try and have the conversations that will really help them in the crisis times.
0: So many of us may have a mental health issue in our lives. And I imagine for so many of us, it's our prayer that those closest to us might be able to notice what is wrong and be able to access the right sort of help that can get us through those times, get us back on our feet and get us flourishing again. And it is a challenging, challenging thing. Nikki, thank you so much. Honour to you for putting your own thoughts on paper and I suspect that that in some sense is a therapeutic thing you do when you write your story, where you get it out there and you can let others in on your own feelings and I suspect your book is going to be very helpful for listeners who either are suffering their own grief from a suicide in their family or they may be wanting to prepare. And so the book is called Precious Michelle, A Sister Reminisces A Life Lost to Suicide. There's a website that you can go to to find out more about Nikki and her book. It's NikkiJeffrey.com. Let me spell it, N-I-C-K-I-J-E-F-F-E. ERY dot com dot com The book is available on Amazon at Koorong, and it's likely to be in the Vision Store at vision.org.au Something special about going to your website too, Nikki, and that is that you have a documentary. Uh, that has been made on Michelle's life. It is password protected, but you're happy to share that with people who uh, visit your website and would like to see the documentary. Uh, Just quickly, your wider community got together and produced that documentary.
1: Yes, we had the Mid-North Coast Mental Health uh, Multimedia, integrated multimedia team create that for us, and it's just an eight-minute documentary, but... It does the same thing as the book in that it celebrates Michelle's life, but it also um, shares sort of some education for churches and and health staff workers to help us better deal with these things.
0: Well, Nikki, thanks so much for writing the book. We can hear your heart in all of that. Uh, Nikkijeffrey.com is the website. Nikki, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your book title with us today on 2020.